Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Michael Taylor. Mike is the co-founder of VexPower, a platform that hosts simulator-based courses for data-driven marketers who want to be more technical. Prior to this, Mike co-founded and led the team at Ladder.io. Mike is also going to be launching a book called Marketing Memetics, which is expected to be out soon. I'm very excited to welcome Mike Taylor to the Mobile UA show. Mike, welcome and welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I'm excited to have you back because as I was telling you just before we hit record, you're among the few people I know that has been writing with a lot of insight and experience around creative. Uh, yeah. And I've certainly appreciated a lot of what you've written. And so I'm excited to dive into our interview today uh, to get started, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. you've written about meme mapping. Yeah. So meme, the word meme has a very specific connotation in what you write about and what you speak about. And it's not just uh, funny cat videos. So can you help explain what it means? Yeah, exactly. So most people don't realize that the word meme actually predates the internet. Uh, so it was coined by uh, an evolutionary biologist, actually Richard Dawkins. Um, if you've read the selfish gene, uh, that's where he coined the term meme It was 1976. Um, so what it really means, it's an analogy to the word gene. Um, and, uh, what he's trying to use that analogy for is essentially like, just like your genes can evolve over time. Um, and, uh, you kind of, uh, you know, develop, um, you know, stronger features or functions as a species, uh, to help you fit the environment that you're in. Uh, the same thing happens with information. So, you know, with our culture, um, a lot of the cultural artifacts that we have, um, and anything li- literally from like you know, ways of making um, bows and arrows <laughs> through to, um, you know, uh, different uh, words or phrases that we use that have meaning we might use in a specific industry. Uh, all of those things replicate over time and uh, they evolve. And you can actually apply the principles of evolution and some of the tools from biology to the evolution of information as well as genes. Yeah, yeah, certainly, right? And, uh, you know, oh, I know you also talked about just how in the context of memes, you talked and written about how memes are borrowed. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, so again, applying the idea of memes to advertising, yeah. how might an advertiser come up with uh, a meme map mm-hmm. or a territory of ideas or concepts, if you will, uh, for whatever they're advertising, how might they go about doing that? Yeah, so meme mapping is a term that I kind of coined uh, as a way to kind of uh, figure out the application of uh, memetics to marketing. And it's something that I was doing for a long time without really realizing it and without having a name for it. So uh, functionally, like how it works is 
Um, actually, a really good example I found recently um, is uh, James Clear, the, the author of Atomic Habits. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, he, uh, he said when he wrote his book, uh, he really, really wanted to make sure that it was positioned to be a bestseller, right? So yeah. um, he did an analysis. He actually, you know, did some research um, to find the top, you know, 150 business books that sold over a million dollars um, in sales. And uh, he started to look for patterns. Um, and, uh, you know, specifically talking about the title, he kind of noticed some recurring patterns. He said, like, um, you know, quite often uh, it was like the topic of the book as the second word. And the first word that you pair with it would be uh, something that's not usually associated uh, with the topic. So, um, you know, the subtle art of not giving a F <laughs> that book is, you know, like, uh, not giving an F, uh, that's like not normally a subtle thing, right? Uh, atomic habits, right? Habits are not normally seen as atomic. Um, uh, you know, basically did this analysis, noticed that pattern. Um, and because he'd seen, you know, 150 of these books and started to see uh, what was emerging, uh, he could then kind of use that pattern for, uh, his book title as well. And, it, and uh, I think yeah. in general, like, this is essentially what you know, designers, what copywriters do. Um, uh, but, uh, meme mapping is really a way to accelerate that. Um, you know, it's kind of coming from, uh, the perspective of someone who's data driven. You know, I don't particularly see myself as a creative type. Right. Uh, but you know, through running Facebook ads, Google ads, etc., um, I had to learn how to make creative and I didn't, I wanted kind of a framework. So, um, for me, uh, the way I do it is I go out kind of like James Clear, I go and build a swipe file of, sure. uh, you know, basically all the examples of success in a specific domain that I want to conquer. Um, and then I tag, you know, those recurring patterns and I start to see, okay, well, yeah. you know, it looks like ads in like, say, for example, you're looking in the Facebook ad library, right? Um, and uh, you might look at um, you know, D2C e-commerce businesses, right? Casper, um, you know, Harry's, all these businesses. Um, you can spot some recurring themes in the ads that they use. Um, and, um, and once you kind of, um, have that map, you know, the list of tags, um, that either, you know, are associated with the successful examples, or maybe you're associated with the least successful examples, like the ones to avoid, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, then it's really up to you to kind of choose where you go on that map essentially, right? Like, yeah, it's not yeah. going to tell you exactly, you know, make this decision or don't make this decision, uh, but it's really important to know. Um, and then you can decide, you know, what to copy and then where to innovate and where to kind of do something differently than the rest of the category. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, what I'm hearing you say is it's very important to have some sort of taxonomy, uh, yeah. right? Some sort of system of tagging or classification. And I know you use the word swipe file. And yeah. that's certainly been used by marketers, direct response copywriters mm. for over a century now, yeah. uh, where they've collected ads even before they were digital uh, print ads uh, at the time, right? Uh, and really having a system of saying, here's why we think this might be winning, right? Uh, yeah, and I know oh, you also just uh, mentioned and reached out about our creative newsletter, which I'm sending out. And uh, that's definitely built on the same premise, which is, can we tag different ads that may be seemingly very different? Yep. Uh, for gaming, I think it can be somewhat easier because there are player motivations, uh, players seeking progression, yeah. players seeking relaxation. Uh, and certainly for DTC or non-gaming, you can have very different kinds of motivations, which could be, does this show ease of use? Uh, does this show 
a cute character, right? So I think just figuring out what that taxonomy yeah. can be. Yeah, yeah. Gaming, gaming in general, like I almost like envious of uh, y you being uh, so deeply embedded in the gaming industry because, um, you know, looking at it, like gaming companies are, I think, usually at the forefront of creative testing. Um, and yeah. I think because like there's no underlying substance, right? Like you're not like sure. selling a, a pair of shoes that's yeah. going to arrive, right? Yeah. Like, you're, you're selling a distraction, right? Like a way to Definitely. entertain yourself. And, um, and, and it, it's the best business in the world um, in terms of margin, right? Like if you get a successful yeah. game, uh, but yeah. there's so much competition because of that. So it's really a marketing yeah. game, uh, you know, like yeah. the gaming people are playing. So I think that they sure. tend to, you know, just like in any ecosystem, right? Like uh, evolutionary pressure is going to create a, a lot of innovation. Um, you know, uh, like a lot more innovation is happening in gaming creative testing than there are in like slower moving industries where they yeah. really feel that pressure as much. Yeah, definitely. Right. And in fact, one of the trends that came out over the last couple of years in gaming was fake ads. And that's very common in gaming, right? So there's fake ads, but there's also ads that I've seen that are run for non-gaming apps. Certainly a number of wellness apps have what we call soothing, satisfying ads. Uh, yep. There's been a time when I see literally every medication app's been showing rain falling or a tree blowing in the wind. And uh, the ads that show are based on TikTok trends, right? So, you know, when I see a lot of this, what I take away is that, you know, a lot of these ads and advertisers are borrowing from different memes that may not be native to their vertical. Yeah. So in those cases, if an advertiser wants to borrow from an unrelated or an adjacent meme, mm -hmm. How do you recommend thinking about which ones to borrow from and which ones to avoid? Yeah. So yeah, it's, you can always think about this as like mimetic arbitrage, right? <laughs> You're finding yeah, a yeah. generally popular mean and then uh, yeah, building your association of using it as a honeypot really to, to get your, sure. your, you know, less popular, but more commercially valuable uh, memes into there. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, in general, um, innovation happens when you cross-pollinate between industries. Um, uh, like Steve Jobs, uh, I really love this uh, anecdote, but like um, apparently Steve Jobs uh, got a lot of the idea for the leak Mac design uh, from um, studying uh, like blenders and like uh, food processors uh, oh, wow. because he looked at like the Cuisinart food processor and thought like this is a piece of technology that uh, people feel comfortable with in their homes and at the time people didn't really feel comfortable with a home computer uh, so he thought yeah. if I can kind of borrow some of the look the feel the design from this I can cross pollinate across you know to consumers I think in general you shouldn't just copy memes wantonly, um, right? Like just because something is popular, it doesn't mean you should jump on the bandwagon uh, because uh, you can uh, you can face rejection, right? Like the people who like that meme, like it kind of, it's like when you see like a brand uh, posting about, um, you know, whatever latest thing is trending, um, you know, just like their opinion is not really wanted, right? Like it, it's yeah. not a natural home for them. And it comes across as quite fake and lame. And I think people are pretty good at spotting authenticity. Um, I think in general where it works really well is if you uh, borrow memes from another category that your target customer likes already. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. A really good example. We did a lot in the fintech space with like Monzo Bank. Uh, so I always remember them as an example. Um, you know, they were a challenger bank in the UK. You know, grew to I think it's like past three million accounts now. Best rated bank in the UK actually. But uh, but they targeted mostly students, um, and uh, their card is like bright orange, 
right? Which is very different from a normal bank. And I think a lot of challenger banks have kind of copied that now. Um, but the reason apparently was because one of the early designers had like bright orange Nikes and he said, why don't we just make the card this color, right? <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and I mean, that's the right thing, right? Like their customers, the students that uh, they're trying to target, uh, they loved like bright colored shoes and clothes, right? So why not make the card that color as well? And it stands out. Uh, it's a meme that attracts more attention. And you know, from an evolutionary yeah. point of view, um, memes that get remembered or stand out, uh, you know, persist uh, longer over time and, and get talked about, right? So I, I think like that's a really good example of, you know, it's not just, you know, people in general like orange shoes, right? Like most people don't, uh, but the target audience did. Um, and yeah. therefore, you know, you kind of feel more relevant and more fresh to those students if they kind of spot the memes that they like from fashion. And, you know, you see that in the industry where they don't normally belong, like in banking. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. Uh, and, you know, just to go from the qualitative to the quantitative, uh, right. So once you have a universe of ideas that you're ready to test, yeah. how do you figure out? how many tests to run and how often. Yeah, I mean, this is getting harder and harder. Uh, back in the good old days, <laughs> you used to be able to do, you know, thousands of micro-targeting kind of audiences and, you know, you could split test uh, everything. Like, actually, you know, I started in Google Ads and, you know, everything was split testing um, uh, creative, uh, you know, and we'd you know, do the analysis in Excel and stuff. Uh, but uh, today, I think it's much harder. Post iOS 14, it's much harder, especially if you're a mobile app. Um, you don't only really get so many slots, right, um, uh, in terms of tracking um, uh, through scan. And then uh, also there's like a bit of a delay in the data that you get back. So I would say uh, you should only really test, like actually test um, your most uh, existentially important things, right? So, uh, you know, we used to call this performance branding, uh, uh, um, and we would, you know, either pre-launch before a company was about to launch a product, uh, or like even after launch, if you want to kind of test a new creative direction, uh, we would do that. We would actually kind of make the creatives, we would run a proper split test, but it would be at like the big conceptual level. So, um, you know, I'll go back to FinTech example. Um, you know, there are people who care about, uh, cheap foreign currency, right? Cause they travel a lot, uh, myself included. Right. Uh, and then there are people who care about splitting the bill with friends, um, which, you know, like, uh, I actually don't care that much about, like, you know, I'm mostly eating with my wife, right? So, <laughs> so we, we don't need to split the bill. We have a joint account. Um, you know, so, so like. If you advertise um, the splitting the bill with friends, that might work really, really well with students. It might work terribly with like people in my demographic. Um, you know, and equally, like if you advertise for an exchange, that might work actually well with both groups or, you know, but it wouldn't work well with a different group. Um, and those are existentially important questions because if you're deciding whether to um, you know, focus your product on one of those use cases or not, you can actually kind of test that beforehand with advertising and see what the response is. Um, and they actually have like big implications in terms of profitability, like the capital one is very expensive yeah. to supply, right? Whereas like a bill splitting feature is very, you know, once you build it, it's like zero cost, right? So, um, I think people should really get into the habit of using marketing and product together, um, and testing those really expert, uh, you know, existentially important things, um, being very wise with the number of slots they use, uh, in their testing regime. Yeah, certainly. Right. And I think the pre ATT world kind of spoiled a lot of us when we were like, Let's yeah. just change this one font or let's just change this one color and see what happens. 
sometimes we did find statistical significance, but yeah, it's just not practical post ADT to you know get such granular reads. Yeah, I, uh, I, honestly, it was always hard to get statistical statistics, yeah. right? Like, yeah. um, we were kidding yeah. ourselves most of the time. You know, I, like I ran a growth sure. agency, right? So we, I was guilty of this as well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we ran 8,000 experiments at Ladder and um, uh, only only a third of them actually were statistically significant. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we actually kept track, but most people don't now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So yeah. I think like uh, now I'm like a radicalist on testing. I'm like, yeah. it should always be opinion driven. Um, unless uh, it's existentially important, right? Um, yeah. And in which case you need to put like a you know, good budget behind it and it needs to be a very big change because statistical Certainly. significance isn't just a function of like how much budget you spend or how much traffic you get or the conversion rate, but it's also like how big the difference is, right? Like if you're just yeah. testing yeah, yeah, colors yeah. and borders, um, you yeah. know, Google can do that. They have billions of searches a day, sure. right? But but like you can't do that with if you're like a mobile game, right? So I, I would say like, yeah, leave the leave split testing everything to like the big companies and you yeah. know if you're just trying to kind of figure out like what's the next feature to build or you know yeah. what type of game should i be making uh then uh, yeah. then just keep it to like the one or two things that are important yeah yeah certainly right and you know let's just say you're operating at large budgets and you're testing a lot of creators mm -hmm. uh approvals can be a big part of the picture yeah or what are uh, another good you... reason yeah another yeah. good reason not to waste any testing slots right because yeah. it takes a long time to get this stuff approved certainly certainly right so what are some of the ways that you manage approvals at scale yeah we got blindsided by this at ladder quite a lot right like um you know, we started off with like small clients, like even idea stage startups. And then eventually we started to pick up bigger clients. And, um, you know, we were working eventually with Fortune 500 companies in some cases. Uh, like actually, I ran some ads, uh, some Facebook ads for Facebook once, which is pretty fun. Uh, and, uh, signed off uh, by Cheryl Sandberg, which is kind of nice. Oh, like way back in the email chain, like I never got to talk to her. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you have a bottleneck like that, like when legal has to approve the ads, right? Like when, um, you know, when ad approval might take a long time or even just like, um, you know, when you just have like a lot of internal stakeholders that like want to give a helpful opinion. Right. And, and they want to make sure that it's on brand. They want to make sure it's good. Um, you know, they want to make sure that their ideas have been heard. Um, then I think that, um, you have to optimize everything else in the process around that one bottleneck. Uh, there's like a really good book that I read. I think it's called the goal. Um, yes. if you, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. 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 It's a really good, so it's it, this one that's specifically about manufacturing, but you know, the same principle, uh, applies. You have to overwhelm the bottleneck, right? So, um, so yeah. the way we do it, we used to call it like a creative lake, basically, um, you know, you should be filling up your reservoir of like already approved creative. And I think the key is it needs to be modular, right? So, um, you know, you can't be like. You know, I want to show this one ad, right? You have to say like, can you approve these six stock photos, right? And can you approve these seven like illustrations? Um, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to pair it with yet, right? Like, but I yeah. just need to know that they're approved. Um, and then you, in isolation, you have another like 20 copy lines and you say, right. can I use these copy lines? And as long as it's modular like that, then you can, you know, always roll out a new variation because you essentially just, you know, if you add yeah. another copy line, you know, that's one copy line, but you could try it with 20 different images, right? So that's 20 new variations yeah. to test. So I think like the modularity is key, building up that lake of approved creative is key. And then just like always making sure that you have something like ready to demo 
like in the legal review or, you know, like I used to work for, did some Google ads for Capital One and, you know, obviously a bank, like they're very conservative. Uh, we had one creative approval session, uh, every three months. Um, yeah. and like, if I missed that session or if we didn't have, you know, if the copywriter didn't finish in time, then I'd have to wait another three months to get things approved. Yeah. So we made sure that like, you know, copy was done like weeks and weeks ahead of that date. Um, and that we had like, when we went in, you know, we had like more things to review than they had the time to review in the session. Right. So we always built yeah. up that kind of work in progress ahead of that deadline. Um, you know, however much time they would give us, we would always have something for them to check. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just the way you mentioned the goal, I think that's very appropriate uh, because yeah. I have also been thinking about applying the theory of constraints to knowledge work. Yeah. Uh, right. And really what he talks about is make everything subservient to the bottleneck. Yeah. Uh, build up a buffer before the bottleneck, which are just the principles you just outlined and described because, you know, the approval bandwidth is so scarce. Mm -hmm. You can't just wait, you know, if you have a approval once in three months, then you just can't, you know, yeah. Or, or yeah. <laughs> take it for granted if you will. Yeah. And you can Very actually easy. do a lot of things that like would normally be seen as wasteful. Um, yeah. um, you know, uh, but actually in light of the bottleneck, you know, not really wasteful. Um, I would not just give that task to one copywriter <laughs> or one designer. I yes. would actually go on Upwork and find like three more. Um, and yeah. I would actually pay like four times as much. Um, yeah. uh, just so that I'm sure within those four people, I have something usable. Right. And, um, yeah. and then I, and I knew that I was going to have some, cause I had, you know, that creative review session on Wednesday or whatever. And I knew like one of those bets would pay off. And then yeah. the grand scheme of things, if you have like a $20,000 a month client, uh, in terms of fees, um, uh, like the difference between like paying like, you know, a hundred dollars and $500 yeah. for creative yeah. is nothing, right? Like, because if you show up with crap creative or you don't show yeah. up with creative, uh, you could lose the 20,000. It might seem inefficient to have four different people working on the same task, but uh, in light of the bottleneck, it's actually efficient, you know? hundred percent. And we do something very similar with UGCs where we have to hire actors yeah. outside of our team. We're like, you know, what if an actor bails last minute and we learned that the hard way, mm. right? The entire project <laughs> is delayed if somebody's bailing last minute. So we're like, we just hire more actors than we need uh and that had that so you know yeah yeah, yeah. like uh, one of my clients um right now is uh, uh recast a marketing mixed modeling uh, tool i think maybe i talked about it a little bit last time but um but you know for them like we send out one blog post every week in the newsletter but i actually have like 12 weeks of blog posts built yeah. up now because like yeah. you know i've just been building them up and yeah, i'm still yeah. keeping the deadline of one per week but today i was like i got an email from one of the writers and they said uh you know i'm based in a country where there's like election troubles right now and I can't get yeah. the blog post. I'm like, no sweat, you know, like just take yeah. your time because I already yeah. I know I have yeah. 12 weeks. Certainly. Mike, this has been very fascinating. And certainly I think we could do another episode on fear your constraints. Uh, uh, <laughs> we could probably but, spend a whole day uh, talking about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but this would perhaps be a good place for us to wrap up this interview. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you? everything you do and also your upcoming book. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the two of the concepts I talked about, meme mapping and performance branding, they're both based off my experience at Ladder and uh, the book, um, uh, about 80% through editing, <laughs> it's called Marketing Memetics, right? And it's on this topic of memetics, it includes those examples. And it's really, you know, the book that I wish I had when, you know, we were this data-driven team of creative testing, you know, media buyers, and we had like no idea what to do in you know, branding conversations. And we had no idea how to handle, like, you know, how to come up with good creative ideas when we couldn't test, uh, or, yeah. you know, as, as many times as we liked. So, uh, it's really that handbook for getting over that. So yeah, it's marketingmemetics.com if you want to see that. And then on Twitter, I'm, um, hammer, uh, underscore MT, uh, and, uh, you can indulge my, uh, Twitter addiction further by, by messaging me there. Excellent. And we'll link to your book, we'll link to your Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Uh, but it has been a pleasure having you, Mike. And uh, yeah, this is a good place for us to wrap up. Thank yeah, you. always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce. And I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.